we bring you episode number 29 of the DC Comics News, Spinner Rack. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. I'm here today to bring you my top five picks from DC Comics this week, just like every week. And if you feel a little overwhelmed, overrun by your time at New York Comic Con, or if you find yourself overrun by all those headlines, take a break and a listen to my top five and see if maybe a little storytelling, a little distraction, a return to the quieter side of the source material, the comic books, is a place where you can find a little refuge. We're going to slide right into my first choice, which is the newest offering from Deathstroke in a story that is book five in the Deathstroke Rip storyline, issue number 48, in a chapter titled Somerville. You might hear my voice breaking just a little bit. It went away, and it's slowly coming back. But when I push it, it lets me know it's still not quite there. Thanks for your patience and your understanding. I promise as long as I take it easy and don't push too hard, I should be back at full strength, hopefully by next episode. What I loved about this issue, number 48, this great story, one, Christopher Priest, Priest as he's known, has been telling a very powerful story within Deathstroke, one that feels very purposeful. It's slow at times, but the pacing, while it's powerful enough to slow down the moments between the action, is adept at staying with that action and making it a compelling part of the story. And yet at times, the narrative seems to supersede that action in all the best ways, and in my opinion, for all the best reasons. In this story, we've got more than one Slade Wilson. And that's right, more than one Deathstroke the Terminator. Very angry. And looking for a gift that was given by Lex Luthor to Jericho. Because at the time it was offered, Deathstroke, Slade Wilson, was dead. He's not anymore. And he's looking for that gift. When he approaches Luther, he's informed that the gift once offered cannot be taken back or moved from the person it was given to to another person. However, it can be taken. It can be transferred, which sends off first Slade Wilson to find Jericho and from here we get into a wonderful tumult of confusion and threat and fear and from it you can also feel that so much of the things that make Lex Luthor so dangerous are at play as though the strings are being pulled and the manipulation is part of a a longer narrative. Of the two Slade Wilsons, one appears very clean, very smooth, the other very ragged, very haggard. And along the way are a great mix of characters, from an old detective, 
curious as to why Slade Wilson, with all his aliases, would use one that would bring attention to him. And meanwhile, the transference of the powers that are being so desperately sought by Slade Wilson are maneuvered by Lex Luthor. And his ability to pull the strings within this story and still in many ways feel relevant is extremely impressive and something that I really enjoyed about this story as much as I enjoyed the question of which Slade Wilson is the real Slade Wilson. And once we know that, how did we end up with two and what exactly is going on here? A series of great questions that I think continue as we move into our other choices. I felt this was a great example of how to maintain tension after what would be a ultimate penultimate moment like the death of Slade Wilson and how to add a greater degree of importance and value to the return of not only one but two Slade Wilsons. This was a solid book in my opinion a really great team up and one that I think well everyone involved should be proud of. Along with Priest telling the story we had Carlo Pagulaya and Fernando Passarin I'm always hopeful I say the names correctly handling the pencils with Jason Potts and Cam Smith on the inks. Jeremy Cox delivered beautiful colors with really text-savvy letters from Willie Schubert. The cover by Carlo Pagulayan and Norm Ratman was joined by Ivan Placencia with Scan, offering a really fun variant cover. That was Deathstroke number 48, my first choice on this episode number 29 of DC Comics News Spin Rack. Let's go ahead and slide into my second choice. Today that second spot is filled by Green Lantern number 12, the final installment in this run by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp, but also an ending that leads to a new beginning and something we'll talk a little bit more about towards the end of the discussion of this issue. Again, Grant Morrison providing this very interesting narrative of Hal Jordan up to this point, joined by his compadre in art, Liam Sharp, and a cover featuring Liam Sharp with Romulo Fajardo Jr. Steve Olaf offering up the colors, Tom Orzachowski the letters, with Riley Rosmo handling variant cover duties. Another tale of twos. In this, the final chapter of this first segment or act of the longer Green Lantern run that Grant Morrison has embarked on, it tells the story of two Hal Jordans in the midst of a violent struggle. The first, the Hal Jordan we've come to know from Sector 2814. The second, a figure known as the Quad Man, Hal Jordan's doppelganger polar opposite from the antimatter universe. Their fight begins as something brutish in nature and becomes more 
entangled in its overall and overarching story components, especially regarding the past and previous 11 issues. With the introduction of various members of not only the antimatter universe, for example, a sort of chumly and chappy-like Sinestro, there to bring in Quaman to the antimatter universe bounty hunter organization that he works with and that pays him money, and how Jordan has another plan in mind. The struggle between these two is very interesting, especially in moments when they're face-to-face and asking each other, who are you? And a fun little twist on the tech side here is the way Quaman, when he speaks, speaks everything, and it's written backwards so that you find yourself realizing that his backwards speech is a mirror to the very same questions that Hal Jordan is asking and that they're both confused and torn by this experience that neither of them anticipated and yet can also find themselves struggling to simply deal with while also trying to wrap their heads around. That is a smaller example, a microcosmic glimpse at the macrocosmic story taking place. For while Hal Jordan does find a way with the others to confront Quaman, the end result is not something that he planned. And it turns out, much like in the other story, the strings being pulled by Luther, we find out for Hal Jordan that the since-deceased controller Mu has still been pulling the strings for Hal and a longer plot than, well, Mr. Jordan could ever have been aware of. And the ending of this book is a really brilliant and haunting setup for the upcoming Black Stars number one, due out soon, and hopefully to provide a little bit of understanding for what has been a very impressive 12-issue run. And in 2020, when Green Lantern is due to pick back up, we'll have a chance to see just what is in store for Hal Jordan at the end of this Black Star story that picks up in November. And whether or not the Hal Jordan we see in that new Green Lantern is similar to the Lantern Hal Jordan we enjoyed in this series. And then should there be a difference, just how much of what has happened so far would play a factor. Thought this was a great second entrance and choice for me for the DC Comics new spinner and the perfect moment to take a break and let you guys enjoy a little bit of knowledge from our DC Comics News ads before we come back with choices three, four, and five. Thanks for staying with us and your patience. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. 
It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. First... There was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Welcome back to our third choice here on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 29. I'm still your host, Seth Singleton, and I caught myself moving already into my third choice for today's episode. A little something called Superman Up in the Sky, issue number four. And it immediately got me thinking about this idea, which is when you see someone who has already displayed a mastery in their storytelling in one format, let alone many, and then does something that you've always enjoyed, something that was introduced a long time ago. But that in this moment, the artist you've already enjoyed is paying homage. In this example, I'm talking about how Superman Up in the Sky takes a look back at a classic story. One which features Superman versus the Flash. In a race, a foot race, a flying race, the stipulations were never made terribly clear. If you heard that little grumble in the background, that was my French bulldog, Bruno, giving his own opinion regarding that. In the story run, part seven of Superman Up in the Sky, writer Tom King pairs with Andy Cooper, in addition to Sandra Hope offering up really clean inks, Brad Anderson on the brilliant, bright colors, Clayton Kaus coming back with, well, letters that really make the words and the story come alive. And in this story, 
What's important to remember for me is that every Flash Superman story that has to do with a race starts out with the idea of a race. And then quickly, the story becomes, generally, about so much more than just a race. So much more than winning and losing. Especially when the stakes, generally intertwined with the race, or perhaps even existing outside of it, are actually much higher than simply who is faster than the other on a given day, in a given moment. When I've read these stories, both Superman and Flash have either had separate issues pulling them away from the race that they had to attend to, or would have to team up to accomplish a goal or solve a problem during the race, and then finish the race. In this version, though, the story that's taking place outside of the race begins at the beginning with a narrator who witnessed this race and tells the story from their perspective. And throughout the story, it's never quite revealed just who is telling the story and what they're telling about it. And yet, when it comes to why that becomes important, there are certain mysteries I don't like to reveal if I believe that the value will be more beneficial for you when you experience it on your own. However, I would like to point out that much like my favorite Superman Flash race stories, the added element to the race, the part that's about much more than just a foot race or who's faster, has been part of this longer narrative that Tom has been telling about why Superman is up in the sky, what's taken him away from Earth, and why it is he keeps pushing as hard as he does. It's also followed up by a great part eight story, Man and Superman, which features a separation of the identities of the Kryptonian and the human, and the conversation they have about what's important, what they should be doing, and then what they will be doing, about the reasons why they're here, and about how it is that even separately they can both come to a compromise that will help them solve the problem, find the person, and bring a close to a, a story that started out very simply as Superman leaving to save someone, but has become more about what kind of journey Superman is willing to undertake in order to bring that person home safely. I thought this was a stunning tale, one that was perfectly scripted and is clearly part of this longer 12-part series. And I thought it provided a gentle reminder of what it means to hold out hope for a very long time, and also just how challenging it will be to sustain that hope as our story continues into issue number five. In the meantime, issue number four was a solid five out of five for me. Great combination, great teamwork, great work overall, and something well, I really enjoyed and I'm happy to share with you. Let's go ahead and move into my fourth choice. Now my fourth choice, so appropriately so, is Lois Wayne, issue number four, 
in a story titled Shadow of the Question. And one that follows up on a very interesting little cliffhanger at the end of last issue, one, if you discovered, was less about a threat to Lois Lane, more about another complication to add to the mix of complications that has been the momentous development of Lois Lane from the very first issue in Enemy of the People, Part 4. Writer Greg Rucka continues to put Lois Lane out in the middle of all of the trouble that's going on in the world and show how she stubbornly refuses to be moved off of what she is following, a story, one she wants the answers to, one that is part of the longer story she's always been writing about. His team up here with Mike Perkins on art and also providing great cover work, as well as beautiful colors from Paul Mounts, letters from Simon Bolin, and a variant cover by Emanuela Lupacino and Romulo Fajardo Jr. This seems to be a week about twos, and much like the two Deathstroke the Terminators, the two versions of Hal Jordan, this issue of Lois Lane brings to light an issue that was raised in issue number three, the question of how there can be two questions, why they are able to exist, and what this means. It's not an easy question to answer, and it's one that I think is really well handled as Vic Sage and Renee Montoya sit down for a cup of coffee, some pie, and try to put the pieces together. This is actually something I really enjoy because it sets up a problem later when Renee faces Lois Lane. Not only about the fact that Lois has known Vic Sage is alive, but that Lois knows a great deal. And that's something Montoya wants, not only as the question, but also as a former police officer. Lois has something she can't share, like the fact that her son, Jonathan, has come to her to announce that is has been mentioned in the current Superman, Supergirl storylines and in the two-part series Millennium, that Jonathan will be leaving, that he wishes to join the Legion of Superheroes in the future, and that this will be a huge challenge considering Clark and Lois just got their son back. But there are things that Lois can share, and she points out to Renee that, well, that's something she can do. There's also a risk involved, and that risk has to do with the fact that when it comes to what she's about to tell, only two people in the universe have the information she's going to share, and that that's a risk. Renee Montoya has to take because once she has this knowledge everything will change and the knowing part of things can be extremely difficult and when it comes to knowing the truth Lois points out that truth is medicine that it's uh, an antiseptic something that her and Montoya both agree but because of it if you 
experience truth, you can be a healthier person. You can survive. And if you do, you can get the cure. But there's no single truth is what Lois really wants to impress. And that it's not neat. It's not clean. And that knowing the truth means realizing a lot of things that maybe can't be handled, can't be addressed, can't be solved. And are extenuating circumstances simply impressing their complications on the problem you really do want to solve. I think it's a great example of what it means to be the kind of investigative reporter that Lois Lane is, and also to provide a really important distinction between two different types of investigation, the kind that Montoya does to solve a crime and has done, and maybe even an extension of that that she's experienced as the question. But the deeper questions that someone like Lois Lane has always been dealing with and what it means to willingly step into that realm and acknowledge the sacrifices and the responsibilities that come with it. Lois Lane has been doing a masterful job of telling a story about one woman's push, one reporter's push, one person's push to find out the truth and then share as much as possible. Because as Lois also points out, when it comes to sharing the truth, you can't give it all away at the beginning. You can't give it all in one huge rush. You have to give it in digestible pieces that the public will accept because they will kill the messenger if you don't do it correctly. Really great example of the situation Lois Lane constantly confronts and what we'll get to experience as it appears she might be willing to share that experience and initiate Renee Montoya. Issue number four of Lois Lane was really brilliant. The realistic lines, the shadows, the threats, the dangers, and of course, the otherworldly associations that have to do with having a son like Jonathan and a partner like Clark. My favorite part about this issue might have to be the fact that there was no Clark Kent or Superman making an appearance. And that added a greater value and importance for me that this really is a Lois Lane story. I look forward to more issues to come and talking about them here with you on the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. In the meantime, let's slide in to our fifth and final choice. Now for my fifth and final choice, I'm going to be completely honest by saying that I was torn between choosing this and another title to pick for this fifth spot. But when it came down to the final selection, what really sticks for me has to do with the Legion of Superheroes Millennium, the second issue, part two of two, and a really absolutely gorgeous cover. Legion of Superheroes Millennium features this beautiful moment with Jonathan Kent, Superboy, looking towards the audience while a figure holding a Legion flight ring between thumb and forefinger reaches it out towards Jonathan. And the look of hope, expectation, the promise and possibility are really something that brought me home on this issue. It's actually an image that the DC Comics News podcast staff got a chance to chat about maybe about four or five episodes ago when we first had the chance to see a 
early release of that cover and the hope and promise that it suggests it's it's really reminiscent of so many of the optimistic qualities that I always felt Legion of Superheroes had to offer. In this second part of Millennium by Brian Michael Bendis, we have a great team of artists, Nicola Scott, Jim Chung, Jeff DeCall, and Ryan Sook, with the team up of Tomu Mori and Jordi Belair on colors, Dave Sharp handling the letters, and Ryan Sook handling that main cover with a variant cover provided by Brian Hitch and Alex Sinclair. They're all quite gorgeous. If you get a chance, I'm going to recommend getting both. I really think they, uh, well, in a moment like this, sometimes it's okay to have more than one. So what really sticks out for me is that sometimes I'm not even aware maybe not paying attention enough to themes that stumble upon until I'm actually talking about them here on the episode. And much like some of the other issues that have already been discussed on this episode, this issue has to do with one person and more than one person. Slade Wilson had two versions of himself. There were two versions of Hal Jordan, two questions. And now in Millennium, we feature one character with two identities, the character of Rose and Thorn, who was introduced in the first book of Millennium, who's been popping up in storylines like Leviathan and Lois Lane and Superman. And as she has, there's been a recognition that there's a reason why she's being singled out. Bendis has done an amazing job in books one and two of Legion of Superheroes Millennium by showing that the main thing that he is pointing to is a quality that really Rose and Thorn don't learn for quite some time, which is that they don't age. And that has allowed them to have an understanding that extends from the present we all live in to the future where the Legion exists. This story continues to traverse time, and as it does, it reveals moments when Rose and Thorn experience more of their galaxy, more of their universe, and how together they build an understanding of what they feel is extremely important. This has been leading to a moment when Rose seeks out this new legion of superheroes, because she has a message. She's learned some things, glimpses that we've had a chance to share with her. But more importantly, a, a longer, again, narrative, a bigger mission, a bigger message, and one that using her as the catalyst for, in my opinion, should be part of the launch that will pick up all of this action and possibility in the upcoming Legion of Superheroes number one, a series that I think will be grounded in the recognition that Rose can bring, potentially with the help of Thor, so that the heroes can understand exactly what it is they're trying to model in their thousand years in the future, or longer actually. I think this is now the 32nd century, although there's been some question about whether or not 
these uh, characters will be in the 31st or the 32nd. I'll wait until that final issue to really worry about it. However, all hints have suggested the possibility, just the possibility, that most of what we remember about the Legion will hold true in this new series. But that trying to understand the values that made the past so strong and the mistakes that potentially led to its doom can be much of the foundation for the stories that Legion of Superhero will be telling. And also points out that along the way, Bendis has been introducing a character who, through these past few issues and her other appearances, can show us just how much she's seen, how much she's seen, what she's learned, and what she believes is valuable knowledge she wants to share. I thought this was a great ending to the Millennium Saga, pointing out the idea of a millennium, the journey of a thousand years taken by a character, the knowledge that they can share once they have it and can bring it to others, and what that's going to mean for the relationship that she will have with the Legion, and what possibilities even I haven't considered might still be in store. Great when a great concept has a great completion, and what we're left with is a really fun, great story. I really enjoyed this issue of Millennium, and I look forward to seeing where it leads with Legion of Superheroes number one. This was a solid five out of five in my book, one that set an idea up, made a promise, and then followed through. And I was really thankful at the end to see that all of my goals were met. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are about this and everything we've been talking about today. Remember, we've got a few ways that you can reach out and let us know. For starters, you can find us on all those social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube, and leave us your thoughts with the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. Leave us your thoughts, your scores, your comments, your questions. And of course, remember that when it comes to staying up to date on every episode, either of the Spinner Rack, DC Comics News Podcast, or the new I Am The Night episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series by our own Steve J. Ray, you can subscribe to DC Comics News on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. And then when you do, please rate and review. I always think we're five stars. But knowing what you think is the only way I'm going to know how to make it better. And that's going to do it for us for episode number 29 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rec. Thanks for staying with me for all 29 episodes. And if you've joined on only more recently, well, thanks for every time you do join. Looking forward to seeing you here next time where each and every week we see whether or not my top five are the same as yours. Until then, always remember to read more comics. Thanks again, folks. 
talk to you next time.